Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey, everybody. Guess what? This episode is Ken Family. All the rules can listen. When you're alive, life can be fun. Go to the forest where the shadows do run. They're coming soon. They can hear you. And we are a Paranormal Chicks. And you're listening to a kid-friendly story as part of our 31 Nights of Halloween. The book we're reading from today is Out to Get You, 13 Tales of Weirdness and Woe by Josh Allen and illustrated by Sarah J. Coleman. The first story is titled Vanishers. They were best friends named Jacob and Jacob, and they lived next door to each other. Over the years, they'd built snow forts together and leaped off of backyard sheds together. And one summer, they'd even broken their left wrists together in a freak trampoline accident. At the end of fifth grade, they developed crushes on the same girl together, Bethany Miller, a black-haired beauty who could pitch a baseball so fast, not even the eighth grade boys could hit it. Neither of the boys did a thing about this crush, though, because neither was willing to risk losing their friendship, not even for Bethany Miller. Jacob with a C, Jacob with a K, that's what people called them. Since they even looked alike, each had the same shaggy haircut, the same lanky walk, and the same light freckles. If you wanted one of them, you just called out, hey, Jacob with a K, and waited to see which boy looked up. You need more friends, their parents sometimes told them. This is getting weird. But why, Jacob thought, should he make more friends when he had Jacob? And why, Jacob thought, should he make more friends with Jacob around? One late October afternoon, when the last bell had rung and another day of sixth grade was finally over, Jacob and Jacob met by the large maple tree to begin the walk home. They set out slowly, ambling along as the clouds whirled and a light wind blew. Bladabob, Jacob asked. The boys had their own language. They decided they needed one when a note they'd been passing in social studies last year had been confiscated and read aloud. Bladabob meant, how are you? Blapo, Jacob replied. Good. Except, I have to write a story for Miss Jenkins' class tonight. A whole story with characters and a plot and everything. The wind picked up and they zipped their jackets against the chill. You hate writing, Jacob said. 
If you want, I'll help you. Skalakaloth. Awesome. At the edge of the schoolyard, they pressed the button to cross Westover Street, and a streak of lightning flashed in the distance. A storm was coming. Well, Jacob said, what does your story have to be about? It could be about anything, but it has to be at least three full pages. You could make a creepy story. A creepy story? Jacob said. You mean like with a monster? Shelatarb, Jacob said. Totally. As he said this, the clouds thickened and swirled, and the afternoon's colors faded. Even the boys' faces paled in the changing light, taking on the faint yellow tint of old newspapers. That could work, Jacob nodded. That could be cool. Cars waited as the boys crossed the street and stepped onto the leaf-covered sidewalk. Dried leaves crunched under their feet. I watched a TV show last night about zombies. I could write about zombies. Jacob let out a little puff of air. <laughs> no way! Anything but zombies. They used to be creepy, like, a long time ago, but they're, like, all over the place now. There's zombie movies and zombie video games. There's even a zombie emoji. Jacob pulled out his phone, swiped a few times, and showed Jacob the green-gray zombie face on the screen. Last week, my mom bought some Halloween cereal, and it had zombie head marshmallows in it. Yeah, I guess you're right. You should make up a new kind of monster, Jacob said. In the distance, lightning flashed, and the boys stopped to count for thunder. After three seconds, it rumbled. A new kind of monster? Like what? Jacob stroked his chin, the way people did in the movies when they were thinking. The boys rounded the corner and passed Nielsen's drugstore. A faded sign in the window showed a smiling woman holding a yellow bottle of laundry detergent. Across the top, the sign said, Spot be gone, make stains vanish. Makes your stains vanish, Jacob said and pointed. You could call your monster the Vanishers. The Vanishers? The wind hissed. Dried leaves skittered across the sidewalk. What are Vanishers? I'm not sure yet. The boys turned off the main road and into their neighborhood. They walked quietly for a minute. These Vanishers are creepy though, right? Jacob said. It was growing cold and the boys shoved their hands into their pockets. Oh, they're plenty creepy. They're Klotman creepy. Klotman meant something so strange and weird as to be almost unreal. Just you wait. They rounded another corner and walked in silence for a few minutes. I've got it. I know what the vanishers do. Let me guess, Jacob said. They kill you. That's what all monsters do. Kill you. Not vanishers, said Jacob. Vanishers are different. They aren't murderers. Not really. They don't kill you. Instead, what they do, they vanish you. The clouds grew darker and thicker still, and by now the boys' faces appeared faint and ghostly. Vanishers wipe you out. They erase you like off a chalkboard. If the vanishers set out to get you, they just get you. There's nothing you can do about it. You'll be walking down the street one day, and all at once, they'll zero in on you, and you'll get strange and milky like a crystal ball. And then, little by little, you'll just fade away. The first drops of rain fell. The boys paused to put their hoods up, and they clenched the strings tight around their faces. So you just disappear one day, and your parents and everyone have to wonder what happened to you? Jacob said. 
like they do when someone goes missing on TV? Jacob's voice came out soft and muffled through his hood and the wind and the rain. That's a little scary, I guess, but it's not that scary. It's mostly sad. Well, it's worse than that, said Jacob. The boys walked with their heads down, braced against the weather. They turned onto their street. Because when the vanishers get you, you don't disappear from right now. You disappear from forever. Your birthdays, your learning to walk, everything. It's like none of it ever happened. No one remembers any of it. No one remembers you. You're vanished. You're erased from everywhere. A gust of wind bent the trees along the sidewalk. The boys' homes came into view. Jacob's mother was out front in a long black coat, dragging a brown garbage bin in from the curb despite the wind and rain. Can you fight the vanishers? asked Jacob. Can you outrun them? No way. Jacob hunched his shoulders as he reached his driveway, where he'd peel off and Jacob would keep going for one more house. Vanishers don't even have bodies. They just exist. Like everywhere all at once. In the light and the air and everywhere. He waved one hand in the damp air around him. When they decide to get you, you're just gone. There's nothing you can do. His mother pulled the garbage bin into the open garage. The bin rattled and slid. She looked up, rainwater dripping down her face. Who are you talking to? She said. Jacob pointed to his side. I'm talking to... He stopped. He'd been telling a story, hadn't he? To someone. Talking about the vanishers? The air around him felt heavy and cold, and he shivered. He turned in a full circle. No one was there. He looked at the gray brick house next door. There was a name he tried to call to mind. It had something to do with the letter K. Kevin? Casey? Kyle? He shook his head. No one, he said. I guess I was just talking to myself. This one is called Nine Lives. Let me tell you something. There's a huge difference between cats and kittens. I noticed it years ago, back when I was still in pigtails and training wheels. To start, kittens are way cuter. Their bodies really haven't grown to match the size of their heads, so they have these huge faces. I know that sounds weird, but trust me, it's super adorable. And it just gives kittens these big look-at-me eyes. Plus, kittens will sit in your lap and let you pet them. At least, Licorice always did. Licorice was the kitten Mom got me for my seventh birthday. He was covered in black fur. His face, his back, his legs, all black. That's why I named him Licorice. Another thing that makes kittens so much better than cats is kittens are unbelievably soft. Their ears especially. I used to sit with Licorice in front of the TV and just fondle his velvety ears between my fingers and thumb. I could have done that all day, and Licorice would have let me too. But cats are nothing like kittens. Nothing. Cats, if you want to know the truth, are kind of the worst. Take Licorice. Once he grew up, he totally changed. He got big and kind of snobby, and he didn't want to sit in my lap anymore. 
He would for a second if I hoisted him up there and made him. But once I got settled, he'd wriggle, jump off my lap, and prowl around the hallway instead. That's what Licorice spent most of his time doing, prowling. Around the house, around the yard, the neighborhood. Once he became a cat, it's like he didn't care that I existed anymore. And that wasn't even the worst thing about Licorice. The worst thing was that he never learned to use the litter box. I could forgive that in Licorice the kitten. I mean, if a cute kitten piddles on the floor once in a while and you have to clean it up, well, okay. But when Licorice, the full-grown cat, did it, it felt different. I guess Licorice tried. I mean, he actually did his business standing in the litter box. The problem was his back end would always dangle over the edge and the mess would plop down on the kitchen floor. It drove mom nuts. She'd come in from the garage holding a bag of groceries and see a pile of, well, you know, on her newly mopped kitchen floor and she'd kind of lose it. Licorice, she'd say. Licorice. Oh, why do we even have a stupid cat? Then she'd track down Licorice, drag him over to the pile and say, no, Licorice, no. I think she was trying to train him like a dog. It went on like this for years, and each time Licorice defiled the floor, Mom seemed to grow less patient. Cats are the worst, she said when she mopped up the puddle. When Licorice dies, we are never getting another cat, she said another time. Never. And then one day she said, I hate that cat. And I think she meant it. I really do. A few weeks later, she walked into the kitchen one morning, still groggy-eyed and barefoot, and she stepped right into Licorice's latest delivery. Squish. Licorice, she said, and I could tell from her voice how loud and high-pitched it was that something in her had snapped. She hopped over to Licorice on one foot, since her other foot was covered in you-know-what. She grabbed Licorice by the fur on the back of his neck and lifted him up. He didn't even squirm. He just hung there. Miranda, get my keys, Mom called, still hopping on one foot, and get in the car. Her face turned bright red, and she was shaking the way she does when I go a week without cleaning my room. I grabbed her keys off the hook by the door and buckled into the passenger seat while mom flung licorice into the back of the car. He jumped onto the back seat and started prowling around. Mom backed out of the driveway. Three miles, she said under her breath. That should be enough. A hot hole opened up inside of me. Um, mom, I said, but mom raised one finger and shushed me. She turned left onto Birch Bark Drive and made a right onto Harrison. She drove for a while, zipping around corners, and sometimes out of the blue, she'd flip a U-turn and head in the opposite direction. I think she was trying to confuse the licorice and get him good and lost. Finally, she pulled over at a farmer's cornfield. She jumped out, not even bothering to turn off the car, and she swung open the back door. I knew what Mom was going to do. But I didn't say anything. The hot hole in my chest opened up even further. And to tell you the truth, I was kind of thinking about how cats aren't kittens. Out, Mom said, but Licorice just looked at her with his yellow-green eyes. 
Cat, she said, not using Licorice's name. Get out. Again, Licorice just stared. So mom leaned in and grabbed him. Then she tossed him toward the cornstalks. He twisted in the air and landed on his feet. Of course. Licorice looked up. He took about two steps toward the car, but mom said, no. Licorice froze. I rolled down the window. Was mom really going to do this? At the side of the road, mom waved her arms. Shoo, she said, scat, scram. Then she got back into the car and slammed the door. I opened my mouth, but mom looked at me and said, not now, Miranda. So I closed it. That's when the hot hole in my chest really started to burn. I began sweating a little, but still I didn't say anything. And maybe I should have. Before I could think about it, Mom drove off. Behind us, Licorice stood by the side of the road. He tilted his head to one side, but he didn't run after us. Well, Mom said, I'm glad that's over with. She switched on the radio, but she must have noticed my face because she said, Don't worry, Miranda. And then she said, Licorice will be fine. Cats have nine lives. I didn't answer her. I didn't even speak. When we pulled into the driveway, believe it or not, there was a cat sitting on our front porch, a stray. It was an orange cat. It was whisper-thin and had a notch in its hair, and its fur was so sparse on one side you could see pale skin underneath. Not another one, Mom pointed at me. Get rid of it, Miranda. I got out of the car and walked to the porch. Mom went inside, and I waved my arms at the cat like Mom had at Licorice. Shoo, I said, but I didn't scream at it. I couldn't. I was thinking about licorice at the side of the road, so I only whispered. Scat, I said, but the word barely came out. The orange cat didn't move. It tilted its head to one side. I stomped my foot against the sidewalk. I clapped my hands, but the cat stayed put. That was when I noticed it was missing an eye, its left one. The skin around where the eye should have been was pink and raw looking, like the eye had only been gone a few days. That orange cat just stood there on my porch, not moving, not leaving. It just stared at me with its one good eye. Get out of here, I tried to say, but couldn't. I don't know how long I stood there, getting stared down by a one-eyed cat, maybe a few minutes, but I needed to get ready for school. So finally, I stepped over the cat and went inside. Half an hour later, when I opened the door carrying my lunch in my backpack, the cat was there, in the exact same place on our porch. It sat statue still, like its one eye hadn't even blinked. And there was something else, something worse. The one-eyed cat wasn't alone. It'd been joined by two more cats. They were just as thin, and they looked just as roughed up. One of them had only three legs, the other only half a tail. They looked at me together, and my neck hairs prickled. I stepped out and closed the door, but the cats didn't move. They just kept staring. I had to tiptoe past them to get down the porch stairs. As I headed to school, the cats finally shifted. They crept off the porch and began following me without a sound. 
They stayed about five feet behind, slinking along in the quiet way that cats do. Please leave me alone, I thought. But the three cats, like three silent ghosts, kept following. I crossed Mirror Avenue. I passed a row of houses. I cut through Tanner Park, and they stayed with me the whole time, prowling. They didn't hiss or mew or make a single sound. They just followed. Finally, when I reached the school, they stopped. In one corner of the parking lot, they circled one another a few times, the three-legged cat limping, and then they sat down. I kept walking, and the distance between us grew. Soon, I was 20 feet away from them, then 40, and finally, it seemed, they'd let me go. But they kept watching me. They stayed perched right there on that asphalt and fixed their shining eyes on me, even as I crossed the parking lot and ducked through the metal double doors. I tried not to think about them throughout the day, but everything that had happened with mom and licorice and now these three lurking cats made my skin feel tingly. My face, my back, my legs, all tingly. In math class, when Mr. Wilson gave us time to work on our assignment, I got up to sharpen my pencil and I peeked out the window. They were still there, in the same corner of the parking lot, lying on their bellies. I know this next part sounds crazy, but when I looked out from Mr. Wilson's classroom, their three heads turned my way all at once, from across the parking lot. One of them, the one with the three legs, even stood up. I stumbled back to my desk. When the day ended and the bell rang, I started for home. But there weren't just three of them in the parking lot now. There were six. They'd been joined by a white cat with only one ear and a gray cat with burrs caught in its fur and a spotted cat with a limp. They looked at me, all six of them at once. I started running. I bolted past them, and all together they slinked behind me, prowling and weaving past one another. I ran back through Tanner Park and across Mirror Avenue. I ran over sidewalks and grass and across front yards, and still they followed. Six cats with missing fur and eyes and legs and tails. At home, I burst through the door and slammed it shut. I peered through the peephole, panting, as the six cats settled onto my front lawn. I breathed. It's fine, I said out loud. It's totally fine. I counted to 20. I went into the kitchen. Licorice's litter box was still there, tucked into the corner. I tried to eat a snack, but couldn't. I felt them on the other side of the door, and I knew that they were staring at it, maybe even staring through it, waiting for me to come out again. And I knew why the cats had come, because of licorice and the cornfield, but there was something I didn't understand. Sure, licorice had been my cat, and sure, I had stayed silent when mom had dumped him by the side of the road, but mom had been the one who'd done it, so why are the cats following me? That night, before switching off my light, I peeled back my curtain and peered outside. They were still there, in the front yard, facing my window. Only now, there were nine of them. One of the new cats had a crooked scar running down its face. All nine looked thin and hungry. All nine were broken in some way. 
I remembered what mom had said when we dumped licorice. Cats have nine lives. Nine cats, nine lives. And then I remembered what I had said when we dumped licorice. Nothing. I walked carefully through the house without waking mom and creaked open the front door. The night was dark except for the cat's eyes, which glowed yellow. I stepped out into the shadows, wearing only my pajama shorts and a long baggy shirt. The air felt cold on my bare legs. I went down the porch steps and onto the damp lawn. The cat's eyes followed me. I know why you're here, I said. The cats didn't move. They kept looking at me, the same way Licorice had as our car drove away. Look, I said, I know it was wrong. The three-legged cat tilted its head. My mom, I pointed to the house, I should have said something. I should have stopped her. The orange cat with the missing eye, the one who'd shown up first, sauntered forward. It raised one paw and held it in the air for a few seconds. And then, as if it were some kind of signal, it brought the paw down and scratched the ground three times. And that's when the cats attacked. They screeched and yowled, all nine of them, and they came for my legs. Together, they swirled in a blur of fur and claws, their teeth and eyes flashing. I ran for the house, trying not to trip on them, but four of the cats leapt onto the porch and blocked the door. They raised their paws and hissed. The first scratch, just below my left knee, only stung a little. I bolted for the side of the house, thinking I'd go in the back door. But again, they were too fast. They swarmed and swirled nine blurs, and they blocked the back, too. That's when a tiny paw, I'm not sure which cat it belonged to, raked across my right shin, leaving three thin trails of blood. I burst away from my house, running up the street. I didn't know what else to do, but they came for me, screeching and hissing. Heading left up Birch Bark Drive and right onto Harrison, I ran as fast as I could, barefoot, panting, and they followed. My feet slapped the sidewalk, stinging, but I sprinted. If I slowed, claws raked at my calves. It wasn't long before sticky blood trickled down my ankles. They swarmed. They circled. They turned me this way and that. My lungs burned, but I ran. My legs ached and pulsed, but I kept going. I would have cried if I thought to, but they kept coming and coming and coming. The smell of my sweat filled the night. Finally, after what felt like forever, the one-eyed orange cat darted in front of me, turned, and hissed. I stopped, panting. I'd run down streets and sidewalks through intersections and neighborhoods barefoot. The soles of my feet ached and burned. Where was I? Around me, the other cats had stopped too. Everything fell quiet. A night breeze blew, and beside me, corn rustled in a field. And I knew where they brought me. It was a spot where we had dumped licorice. I was tired, scratched, and bleeding. The nine cats stood still. I'm sorry, I said. I really am sorry. I should have said something. I should have stood up to her. The cats hissed as they formed a circle. 
I waited for their final attack. I hunched my shoulders and shielded my face with my arms. The wind picked up and the corn rustled in the night breeze, but the cats didn't come. Instead, the white one stepped into the swishing corn and disappeared. Then the one with half a tail did the same thing. One by one, the cats stepped into the corn. There had been nine of them, but soon there were six, then four, then two. Finally, it was just me and the one-eyed orange leader. I sank down in the dirt by the side of the road. My legs burned with scratches and sweat. I'm so sorry, I said. The orange cat paced before me. Please believe me. At last, the orange cat slunk into the corn and, like the others, disappeared. I was alone by the side of the road, like licorice. I put my head between my knees and tears finally came. My legs were streaked with half-dried blood, but they'd let me go. The cold breeze licked my skin and I shivered. Then I heard a rustling in the corn, and two green-yellow eyes appeared in the shadows. A completely black cat. Black ears, black legs, black paws stepped out of the corn. Licorice, I said. He slinked up and nuzzled his head against one of my scratched legs. Are you okay? I said. I wiped the tears from my cheeks. He licked one of my cuts with his sandpapery tongue. It's okay, I said. I picked him up and put him in my lap. We're gonna be okay. I stood, bleeding and tired, holding licorice in my arms. The moon came out from behind a cloud, and in the rustling corn there were no signs of the nine cats, no glowing eyes peering out, and I knew why the broken cats, the nine lives, had come for me and not for mom. I cuddled licorice. I fondled his velvety ears between my fingers and thumb. Let's go home, I said. And cradling my cat, I began the long walk back. We hope that you and your little creepsters enjoyed both of these stories. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.